You're listening to Historically Speaking, brought to you by Kappa Kappa Gamma, with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. Hi, Kylie. Yes? Do you know what month this is? October? Yes, and you know what that means. Uh, it's the month that we celebrate the first Kappa Social held at Lou Stevenson's home, where her mother invited special guests, dressed them as ghosts, and surprised the founders with a Halloween party? I'm kidding, but I assume the answer you're looking for is Founders Day. Yes, now we're on the same page. (laughs) Thank you for the reminder about the party at Lou's house. But Founders Day is what I was looking for since it's just around the corner. 150 years ago, Kappa's founders marched into chapel and laid the groundwork for what would become an international organization for women. Women who, according to the preamble of our Constitution, believe in a closer union in the bonds of friendship to be for our mutual benefit. Appreciating the advantages to be derived from a secret fraternity, and feeling that in union there is strength, hereby form ourselves into an association for the development of the nobler qualities of the mind and the finer feelings of the heart and for mutual helpfulness in the attainment of individual and social excellence. The preamble to our Constitution is so beautiful, and I love our mission statement. It reads, Kappa Kappa Gamma is an organization of women which seeks for every member throughout her life bonds of friendship, mutual support, opportunities for self-growth, respect for intellectual development, and an understanding of and an allegiance to positive ethical principles. So each of those statements describe the organization we know and love today. But the question we're answering today is from the summer 2004 issue of my Historically Speaking newsletter, a question we get far more frequently than just that one instance. Oh, so true. The original question was, will you please clarify the details of the founding of Kappa Kappa Gamma? So we'll touch on those this time, and then perhaps for the next, we'll talk a bit more about what the founders did after they started an organization that has thrived for 150 years and with more than 300,000 initiated members. Let's start with a newspaper account in the October 1870 edition of the College Courier, Monmouth College student newspaper and then we can piece together the story as it led up to that newspaper account. The article appeared on the front page and was the second story, appearing only after a reluctant announcement that the editor of the newspaper had resigned and a new editor was welcomed. The paper was more of a broadsheet, but I think that counts as appearing above the fold, don't you? Absolutely, and the announcement of Kappa Kappa Gamma is definitely prominent in this issue. And here's what they wrote under the the title in bold, Kappa Kappa Gamma. The long-expected ship hove into sight some days ago and came into port with the Admiral's pennon flung to the breeze amid the shouts of a multitude. A sail, a sail! When the crew came ashore among us islanders, the dignified 
mean and grace which mark their presence evidence the residence of authority but we're glad to note that so far no concealed weapons have been seen and we are hoping the beauties of our natural scenery and the mysteries of our learning will induce the crew to permanently take up their abode with us and submit to the destiny which has cast them ashore in this newly discovered country. Further, we assure them, civilization has not advanced. This is the ultimate Thule. Oh my gosh, they are so dramatic. Definite students of the classics, and for those following at home, Ultima Thule was coined by Virgil, a Roman poet, and it means any distant place beyond the borders of the known world. So basically, any place beyond Monmouth, I guess. Right. So they continued with, they wear a little golden key, sometimes on their foreheads, sometimes on the little blue or red jackets, which very much become them. It has three letters on it. K, K, G, and also the letters Alpha, Omega, Omicron. We have been able to count only six of them, and as has been animated, they are on a voyage of discovery. So that's that. That's our founding story. Indeed. And one thing that was never mentioned when we talk about this newspaper announcement is that just below it is another announcement of a new group called Lambda Mu. And their five members with a badge that was a shield of gold having the initials LM. The newspaper editors wish them abundant success in the same field where I see already flourishes. And another, so far nameless, promises soon to, be, to appear. May they all live long and prosper. So Monmouth was a hotbed of women organizing into their own close associations, and how wonderful that the men on the campus were generally supportive. That was not often the case on many campuses where educating men and women side by side was not always a welcome endeavor. And I was interested to find in my research that live long and prosper is a traditional Jewish greeting and not original to pop culture and the Vulcans on Star Trek. Isn't that the truth? Okay, now that we've jumped to the end of this tale and given the newspaper article as a spoiler, let's move back and see if we can't shed some light on the beginnings of Kappa Kappa Gamma. Besides that newspaper account, most of what we know of those early days in our history has been gleaned from the early letters of, of those who participated in the events of that time. The story can be told with no greater accuracy or interest than to quote liberally from those letters. And we should warn right up front that occasionally the different accounts of the founders conflict or don't exactly mirror one another. Um, <laughs> no, they don't. And it's been quite a puzzle for historians to work through and even for modern researchers like you and me to piece together. Let's start with the school. In the 1800s, many private liberal arts colleges had a religious affiliation. Monmouth College, established by Presbyterian ministers as an academy in 1853, was really considered ahead of its time when it was chartered as a co-educational college in 1857. 26 women were among its first 99 students. 
And even with this affiliation with the Presbyterian Church, there's no indication in any of the descriptions of the founding that the fraternity was established based on religion or religious beliefs. The Monmouth home of Kappa's first president, Minnie Stewart, is considered the birthplace of Kappa Kappa Gamma. But in fact, the meeting that three of the original founders held where they concluded that they would have something new was held in a room on campus where one of the women's literary societies met. According to Louise Bennett Boyd, one of the four original founders, sometime during 1869 and 1870, Minnie Stewart, Jenny Boyd, and I, Louise Bennett, met in the ABL Hall and concluded we would have something new. And the ABL Hall was named for a uh, French-named literary society. So pardon my pronunciation, the Amata de Belles Lettres Literary Society, of which the women were active members. Thanks for the clarification, Kylie. Now back to founder Louise Bennett's quote. The world seemed to be moving too slowly for us, and the young men had Greek letter fraternities. We three then admitted to our solemn council, Anna Willits. Our aim was to draw into the society the choicest spirits among the girls, not only for literary work, but also for social development. She said Monmouth President Dr. Wallace had not known she was involved with founding a woman's Greek letter fraternity. He would not have allowed us to proceed probably had he known. Which makes a little bit of sense, because even after the exciting announcement of two different Greek letter organizations for women in the College Courier, the very next article writes somewhat suspiciously of Greek letter fraternities. Go figure. And is this a good time to mention the Living History Museum I want to start called Founders Village with a saloon called Choice of Spirits? It's never simple, is it? And I like your museum idea. At any rate, the chapter never lost sight of its primary aim of demonstrating women's equal capacity and fitness for intellectual advancement. They felt that they were pioneering for all the women students who would come after them. Their wish to provide mutual helpfulness was coupled with the desire for literary exercise and debate like the men's. We determined that nothing short of a Greek letter fraternity we didn't even speak of it as a sorority in those days, would satisfy us. The early Greek letter groups for women were established as fraternities. The word fraternity comes from the Greek fratria, meaning family. The Latin frater means brother. We also know that in late December 1869, famous suffrage advocate Elizabeth Cady Stanton visited Monmouth during a nationwide lecture tour. The weather was rough that night, but Monmouth College students were encouraged to attend and Stanton played to a packed house. So we like to imagine that some of our founders were probably in the audience. Her speech, Our Young Girls, decried women's restricted place in society and urged the development of women's abilities. She challenged men to, quote, take down your fences, throw your time-worn theories to the winds, and let your daughters feel that they too have a right to the universe. That is a pretty clear call to action, if I've ever heard one. And in a future episode, we can talk about Stanton's amazing granddaughter, who became a Kappa at Cornell University. 
I love that you brought her up, but I'm usually the one that gets us off track. <sighs> Sorry, back to the story. So the founders are inspired to start something on their own, perhaps after hearing Elizabeth Cady Stanton speak. Two of them speak on a bridge, though that detail isn't in the founders' letters. That part of the story was told by Monmouth's president, Dr. Wallace, an early Kappa historian supposed that it was Louise Bennett and her future sister-in-law, Jenny Boyd, who spoke on the bridge and later brought Minnie Stewart in when they discussed their idea in ABL Hall. That's right. Then those three invited their fourth friend, Anna Willits, and really got down to the business of laying the groundwork for Kappa. Sue Walker was invited to join the original group of four around March of 1870. Lou Stevenson then says that she was invited because she put up for the founders during an ABL debate, and she was good friends with Sue Walker, who was also her neighbor. They were both initiated at the first formal initiation ceremony on April 1st. Which we're told was more of a swearing in, consisting of a much simpler oath than what we see in today's initiation ceremonies. Okay, so that brings us back to our original six founders. Lou Bennett, Jenny Boyd, Minnie Stewart, Anna Willits, Sue Walker, and Lou Stevenson. It seems clear from the founders' recollection and letters that the idea to form Kappa Kappa Gamma was born early in 1870, if not the year before and then its public appearance was delayed to the fall season simply because the founders were waiting to receive their badges from the jeweler in Philadelphia. Since attendance at chapel exercises was required, the founders chose to make their first appearance there so all students would be aware of this new women's Greek fraternity. According to Louisa Stevenson, we publicly wore our pins to chapel hanging back, so we must go well up in front after all the others were seated. Today, the founders might attend a football game or other large gatherings where lots of students would be and make their public appearance announcing this new women's fraternity. So you didn't mention the charter, Kay, and I know that that is fodder for an entirely separate episode. But I will say that we think the charter was signed in April or May 1870 by the first four in Minnie Stewart's parlor. Tradition insists that Lou Stevenson couldn't be there because it was raining and she lost her galoshes, so her mother wouldn't let her go. And Sue Walker couldn't be there because she was helping her mother with a formal dinner party. Remember, they're neighbors and they live several blocks away from Minnie's house, more than a, more than a mile. But other founders don't even recall there being a charter. There's a story about Minnie's brother taking it to Springfield to file it with the state, but the state can't find record of it. And the stories only get better. One says that it was in the basement of Monmouth's old main building and then lost when that building burned down. I've heard the claim that it might be in the cornerstone of another building on campus. If it were at the Stewart house, it surely would have showed up during one of the many renovations, but maybe it'll show up during one of the phases of our new landscape project. We can only hope so. 
And not to add too much confusion to the story, people may have noticed that we have talked about, and in our old history books, we only mentioned four original founders. Because they weren't at that charter signing, Lou Stevenson and Sue Walker weren't included in the official count of founders until 1930. It was at that convention that they finally decided to include Lou and Sue in the official count of the founders, bringing us up to six which only makes sense because that College Courier newspaper article listed six women marching into chapel. So the mystery of the charter aside. And the mystery of the number of founders that we have. The Convention of 1876 declared that Founders Day be observed on October 13th. Yes, talk about a circuitous route in telling that story. But it just reiterates why it was so hard from the get-go to pin down an actual Founders Day. Was it when they first chatted on the bridge? Was it when they met in ABL Hall? Or when they held the first swearing-in ceremony? Or signed a charter that we can't even find? So marching into chapel on October 13th, something that was corroborated by the school newspaper, is a logical choice. It certainly is. Can you imagine being a fly on the wall at that 1876 convention? I bet some of the attendees hadn't even realized there wasn't already an agreed-upon founding date. (laughs) Probably not. All right, now that we've reached the end of our story, I wanted to close with something that Minnie Royce Walker from IOTA Chapter at DePauw wrote in her 1903 history of the fraternity. She wrote, Let Kappa stand for the best in education, for better conditions for the poor, for greater opportunity for all, for civic rightness and all that is best in citizenship. May every good cause feel sure of quick aid in response to the cry, I cori ethanes. Just reading that makes me want to double down on the good intentions our founders had when they started this organization. That's certainly true. Our founders and those early historians really had a way with words, and they sure can inspire a crowd. Well, thank you to all of our listeners, and thank you, Kay, for joining me once again. If you have a question you'd like us to cover, you can send it to archives at kkg.org. Until next time. Happy Founders Day, sisters, and 150th birthday, Kappa Kappa Gamma. You've been listening to Historically Speaking, brought to you by Kappa Kappa Gamma, with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. Our headquarters is in Columbus, Ohio. Our house museum, the Minnie Stewart House, is in Monmouth, Illinois. And you can find us online at kappa.org. All Things 150th is at our special website, kappaturns150.org. And you can peruse our digital archives at kappa.historyit.com. Research is by former fraternity president and former fraternity historian Kay Smith-Larson from Beta Pi Chapter at the University of Washington. And production is done by me, Kylie Smith, archivist and museum director for Kappa Kappa Gamma. Thank you.